put to death that nefesh that's wrong about literally everything. I'm ready to cut loose myself. <laughs> the Christian experience has to be sacrificed. Mm. You have to have that soldier attitude. I don't care what they think. I'm here to obey the apostolic commandment. I want to fulfill God's will for my life. Which is the favor that Jesus had from his father by being perfect. Greetings, welcome to RLM TV, and God bless you abundantly from the realm of Zion's glory. Amen, welcome back. <laughs> I want to start off with Proverbs 28, verse 1. Check this out. The wicked flee when no one pursues them, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. When a land does wrong, it has many princes or principalities. But when the ruler is a man of understanding, Hebrew word bina, and knowledge, Hebrew word dat, its stability endures. So if a ruler is a man standing on the rung of bina over dat, knowledge, which is where during this, uh, this time we're sealing off the bone throne of Satan. So if bina rules dat as a man of righteousness, the stability of Malkut, the kingdom, shall endure. That's Proverbs 28, 1 and 2. And God bless you. Amen. Amen. What's new, Rebecca? Well, I woke up today in the presence of the Lord in a manifest way that was, it was like as if the Kavad was very gentle. It was very heavy, but very gentle, as if the, all the kavod, that weighty glory, was on the inside and on the outside, together in union, and it was on fire, and it was alive, and it was Jesus, who came in the flesh, who confesses that he came in the flesh. And so I spent about an hour marinating in that fire kavod. It kind of reminds me, I know... Alcohol is a poor substitute of an example, but we just don't really have too many things in the natural realm that can kind of explain uh, even just the physics of what it feels like. Imagine you have those, you know those fireball, those flaming shots where bartenders will light them on fire. Mm. How somehow there's a liquid substance, it's kind of like water but different, but flaming all over the top. Now imagine a, a river that's on fire. It's somehow intoxicating, but you stay clear-headed, your clear mind, and uh, there's such a presence and a love and an intimacy with Christ that's just so pure and so beyond anything that uh, we've known in the glory stream, in charismatic you know, circles. It's just intimacy with Christ in the Holy of Holies, being the bride of Christ and what that means, and just being very close with Him. And that fiery presence of Shekinah and Kavad on the inside and on the outside, uh, married in your vessel. So it's like a marriage of realms within and without. But it's just wonderful to feel the, uh, that ever-present well-being and that love and being cared for by the Lord. It's wonderful. Highly recommend to experience and maybe later tonight, if you stick around toward the end, I might share with you uh, some of those things from my, you know, my secret diary notebook, the, you know, the hidden pages of my journal 
of experience and what exactly you have to sacrifice in order to have that kind of an experience with the Lord. It's very simple, but not very people, not very many people know about it and would be conscious of that. And oftentimes people are not willing to make that sacrifice. However, it is very easy. And if you want to, I'm sure you could be one of those people. So stay tuned to the end. Maybe we'll get into that. But I think we have a lot of rich things that the Lord wants to talk about through Brandon and the word he's been talking to you about wisdom and the Proverbs and is really rich in the word this week. And I think uh, there's an impartation that you can get from Brandon with the love of the word. It all comes down to a love of the word. Did you ever go to open up your Bible and you felt like it was dry? Did you ever go to sit down to pray because you know you're supposed to have a prayer life and feel like you're lacking the words to say? Does it feel quiet? Does it feel like there's a maybe a vacuum in the room? You're not sure what to say or where to really begin. How do you know where to read in the Bible? How do you know what to read? How to read it? You know, what's your mind going to be doing? Mm. A lot of people experience these times of uh, sometimes spiritual dryness or just kind of a lack of direction. And what needs to be restored, if that's you, and I can feel that in my ear too, mm -hmm. if that's you, I want you to receive, you know, from the apostle and understand that it's a reignition of your love for the word of God. And when the word of God becomes alive to you, it's going to completely transform not only your Bible reading time, but your prayer life, which is essential if you want to grow to know the Lord and love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your mind and all your soul. Well, I spent most of the day in Proverbs today, and God's speaking right now from Genesis. He says, fruit-bearing trees that have seed that replicate after their own kind. Now listen, so when you have birds in nests, they're only desiring the food that a bird should eat. When you have lion cubs, they de desire the gazelle or giraffe meat or what have you, and the different things from the jungle and strong meat. The gazelle fruit. <laughs> yeah. But the point is, is what tree you're born of, you'll desire the things of that mm. tree. So when you're born of the tree of Jesus Christ, you desire the things of Jesus Christ. That's why First John says, <clears throat> if they're not desiring the things of Jesus Christ, they're not even born of this tree. If they still have a love for the world, wow. if they still have a desire for worldly wisdom and unrighteousness or even religion, it's evidence that the born-again nature is really not sincere and in their spirit. Because every single thing that's born after its own kind desires the food of its own kind. So that's the true mark if you are born again that you are desiring the things that are from above, from Jesus Christ, whose seed and that bloodline you're born again from. So you're born of the water and the Spirit, which means you're of the same exact bloodline as Jesus Christ. Why? The Bible says he was born of the Spirit, conceived of the Spirit in Mary's womb. So it describes the exact same process as a believer today in Jesus Christ getting born again. So if the things of the spirit of holiness, the spirit of Shekinah, are not the desire of your heart, oftentimes the prophets during the, the prophetic time since the Kansas City prophets, John Paul Jackson, Bob Jones, and Paul Cain and others, they would say, you need to get born again 
again, and let us add during these times buckwheat. Type that in the comments. You need to get born again again buckwheat. Why? If there's desires for idolatry, desires for immorality, that's not after Jesus' kind. So we call it rededication oftentimes, and the evangelicals say, rededicate your life. We've had 20,000 rededications in our ministry. Listen, how about 20,000 reborn agains? And not from the earthly, from the heavenly. And the evidence is they're desiring the heavenly Jerusalem. And the protocol that's within those walls, why? Because scripture says outside the walls are the dogs and the sorcerers. What are inside the walls? Those who have not defiled themselves with women, who hate living a lie, and love God's holiness. I mean, it's clearly written in Revelation, the protocol of in the kingdom, which is inside the city of heavenly Jerusalem, of innumerable angels, and those that are outside the kingdom that love lies, they love sorcery with sorcery, the stubbornness of human pride. That's in uh, Samuel. It says that witchcraft is the sin of rebellion and stubbornness is the sin of sorcery. So how much sorcery do we have going around Christianity? Uh, it's pretty rare nowadays. It's basically a unicorn to find a Christian that's not stubborn and especially a know-it-all. Why? Because I've been reading the Bible for 20 years before you were even born, buckwheat. And, you know, they speak down to those of higher spiritual rank. As it's written, they, they mock their spiritual elders, which doesn't require gray hair, doesn't require 900 years old. It requires the development of the God sperm seed in the realm of the holy angels, which is the rank and the rungs of Jacob's ladder of the sapphire stones. And if that is not the development, it's false maturity every single time. And that's really what we're dealing with. So it's extreme sorcery, which is extreme stubbornness. Why is it such extreme stubbornness everywhere in Christianity? Which is accurate, very true. Because we have so much knowledge without circumcision. Knowledge puffs up, which makes you hard-headed. Or I don't really listen. I have my opinion. I can have my opinion about everything. Don't you tell me what to think. Don't you tell me what to do. Well, that's what the special instruction of the apostolic is. It's the seed of God's will. The apostolic witness is always communicating the Father's perfect will. When you are around the apostolic consistently, there will be no question what God's will is. His will is to purify you from unrighteousness, to get rid of all idolatry, which is creation in your consciousness, to have a crystal clear sparkling conscience, which is spirit, that emits the Shekinah of the Word of God. Simple, right? That's what Paul says in Thessalonians. The will of God for you in Christ Jesus is that you pray without ceasing, Rejoice always, and in everything give thanks. This is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. It is written. Therefore, how do we pray without ceasing? Brother Lawrence. It means to practice the presence is to pray without ceasing. So we don't need to babble on like the pagans with their many words. It's simply the manifest presence of the Spirit of glory who is our mother, the Holy Ghost, the brooding mother hand of Jesus Christ in the Gospels, right? He called the Holy Ghost the brooding mother hen. Therefore, 
if your mother is the spirit of God and you understand the spirit of God's motherhood of your spirit, you can walk in the reverential fear and awe of the Holy Spirit. Not God, like you know God, but Holy Spirit, which is ever-present. See, there's an irreverence when God is distant because there's a seared conscience. There's no reverence, there's no awe, there's no fear of the Lord. Why? God's far away, He's not present. If God were present and you were aware, you would never speak an idle word. You would you'd be very, very different in your etiquette towards yourself and others. Why? Because you're aware that Almighty God is present. Therefore, wisdom, the fear of the Lord, the beginning of wisdom, is the awareness of the presence of the Holy Spirit. So that your attitude, your actions, your thought life, all the things that you do in that body would please the Spirit of God. That's the weaning of the motherhood of the brooding mother hen. Why? To raise up the chicks. She's wanting to raise up and develop Jesus Christ. Plural. Why? Because the Bible says that's God's will. To raise up many sons of whom Jesus Christ is firstborn amongst many. It is written. The only, no, the only one that's God, the rest of them are his created gods, and that's the truth. Anyhow, have I not said you are angels, Psalms 82, which is the word Elohim, same word for angels and gods. Now, what kind of angels, what kind of gods is the God of gods raising up in these days? Ones exactly like Jesus Christ in every way. You mean ones that can ascend to the top of a very high mountain and look over all of Mount Esau? Yeah. Ones that understand the inheritance as cosmic and celestial of Jacob's ladder, for he is the Messiah of Israel and not Esau. When we get into Messiah of Israel and understand Torah, Moses, what is the house? Moses, Hebrews 3. Who is the builder? Jesus Christ. Now the overcomers are singing a song in Revelation 15, verse 3. What song are they singing? Greasy grace, I get to do whatever I want. Grace abounds, the exact opposite. It says they're singing the song of Moses, the song of Torah. Well, very few Christians are singing that song, I'll tell you that. But the song of Torah is the song of the overcomer according to the Bible. Book of Revelation, chapter 15, verse 3. So the song of the overcomer is the song of Torah. But as Rebecca and I discuss often, it's not Torah as Christians know it, where it's just the Leviticus law. No, it's, it's Torah, which is the construction of the universe. <laughs> Think of Torah as the stars and the sun and the moon. Why? Because that's exactly what Torah says Torah is. Torah, Genesis 1, which is Torah, which means commandment or law, is the very framework of all creation. You could say Torah is nature itself. Now, is nature needing a revival? Is nature needing a renaissance, a repristining? Absolutely. Therefore, Messiah, all creation was bound by Torah until the Messiah comes and fulfills the law. What does it mean to fulfill Torah? Which is the word in the gospel, fulfilling law. I have not come to do away with Torah, Messiah, red letters. I've come to fulfill Torah. That means for God himself, the builder, to fill all creation. So all creation, nature, which are stars, angels, and the earth, and all the animals, and all the human beings, and the plants, and the minerals, 
along to be filled with Messiah. How do you fill creation with Messiah apart from Torah? You cannot. It's impossible. This is why the overcomers learn the Song of Moses. What is the Song of Moses? All the writings of Moses in a spiritual way and understanding as Jesus Christ did. If you read the Bible, you understand the most quoted book by Jesus Christ in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's not the epistles. It's not Paul's grace. None of those existed. was Deuteronomy. The most quoted book by the Messiah was Deuteronomy, which means Jesus had a commanding authority of Torah law. It was greater than all the scribes, teachers of the law, and Pharisees combined because he is the very soul and spirit of Torah. So when he's manifest, what does he do? He brings the full purpose and the intention of the original design of the construction of the universe through the law. So the law is not just the things of do's and don'ts. The law fulfilled with Messiah is the realm of the overcomer, for only in Torah do we get the understanding of Eden. The prophets talk about Eden a little bit. It's almost never mentioned in the entire New Testament. The Garden of Eden is a very much Torah concept. It is incredibly Jewish. Christians get it entirely from the Judaism of the Old Testament, for it's not even mentioned in the New Testament. But the Garden of Eden is mentioned in Torah. So Messiah ultimately in the fulfillment of Torah, understanding and just removing all of our judgments about the Old Testament right off our heads to free us to sing the Song of Moses today, Messiah restores us to the Garden of Eden. And where is the Garden of Eden? In the scriptures of Moses. The prophets were quoting Moses every time. The entire understanding of the original design of man and woman and what God meant for us in the beginning before there was sin is Torah. Now, what is the gospel? The gospel is the restoration to the original design that we read in Torah. So until we fulfill the law and understand what fulfillment of the gospel actually is, We're going to be down here in a Gentile pagan form of Christianity thinking that we're right and the Jews are wrong when the Jews have more Torah than we do and they're still in a higher elevation and wrong than we are because we don't yet understand. So what the demons have done, and these are really the the realm of Esau, and a lot of Jews consider all the realm of Esau and Samael the realm of Christianity. And for the most part, they're correct. Why? Because it's earthly, unspiritual, demonic. Its interpretation is not the fulfillment of the Tanakh. It's not really a a biblical perspective. It's not a Torah perspective. And we don't understand Moses for the most part in Christianity. So it's entirely outside of the building of God's house and his original design, which we know is Genesis. It's outside of Genesis. So therefore, to be outside of the walls of Genesis, of the building of the original design, is to be with the demons. And that's what Babylon the Great and all the building of that unclean house uh, that we read about in Revelation, that's what John's talking about. But there's a restoration to a people that come into Jerusalem. Now, what is Jerusalem? It's the capital of Israel. What is Israel? The Jewish race. Amen. 
And so the capital of the Jewish race and the Messiah, the King of the Jews, is in a realm called heaven, the heavenly Jerusalem. And to get into that realm, it's a full embracement of Messiah's understanding of Torah. So we're going to understand the books of the law and the oral tradition of the law at a messianic level, which is a fulfilling level that's even greater than all the mystical Jews and the Kabbalists of Judaism in the world combined. It's really a renaissance of the oral tradition of Messiah and Moses. It's the truest and the most perfect form, and you will not find it anywhere else, for it's being pioneered here only. I tell you the truth. People will come in and they will learn a lot, but these were reissuing the understanding of the framework of Zion. Why? Because that's what the special message is. The apostolic is the special messenger. If everybody knew it, it wouldn't be special. Why do you guys have it? Well, because God gave it to us. That's what it means to be a sent apostle, is that you are given a special message. It's not the recycling of 40 years of Catherine Kuhlman and Smith Wigglesworth or the Assemblies of God or even what we've heard in the Kansas City Prophets and the Glory Stream since the 1980s. This is a fresh new understanding of what Scripture is and going into it from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Can you imagine the thrilling excitement of the apostles writing the New Testament? Do you know that there is a pioneering excitement for all apostles the last 2,000 years, similar to Paul writing Scripture and releasing it to listeners? That is the authority of the consecrated messenger of the apostle of Yad There is a thrill and excitement going into the unknown of God, And of course, what is a lot of the the repercussions of pioneering something brand new? The old fights the new. Jesus Christ said, old wineskins will burst in the hearing of the new wineskins. So the new wine is like the gospel of glory. And it's coming down from the sapphire stones. It's like sapphire wine. Therefore, even those in the charismatic church that hear the message of the Messiah's Kabbalah, surely they will burst. You can tell people the Messiah and the apostles of the Lamb are bringing an oral tradition or an understanding of Kabbalah, which is an understanding of the voice of the angels of the heavens. Now listen to this. Understand Torah a little bit deeper in order to understand the gospel as it's written first in the natural, then in the spiritual, which means first understand the Old Testament, then you'll understand the New Testament. That's exactly what natural and spiritual is. So we have the mercy seat of Moses built the tabernacle in the wilderness. And there was two cherubim right over the ark. So you have inside the ark the Ten Commandments, Aaron's staff that budded, and the manna from the wilderness. But over the ark and not in the ark were two cherubim angels, and then the mercy seat, the throne of Jesus Christ, the throne of Messiah, and understand Moses and Aaron called that the throne of the Messiah. The mercy seat is Messiah's very throne, and it's over the commandments, okay? 
but then you have the two cherubim. The two cherubim represent the two fish, and the the five loaves represent the Ten Commandments inside the ark. So since the angels are over the ark and over the law and the commandments in the ark, it represents the gospel of the angels and the understanding of the holy angels over the natural realms receiving of the word. In the Old Testament, that's called the oral tradition of Moses. In the New Testament, that's called the oral tradition of the Lamb. So what is oral tradition? It's Kabbalah. Kabbalah is simply the wisdom of the holy angels. That's why if you truly read the Kabbalah, it's only talking about holy angels in the positive. And all the unholy angels are devils and demons and wicked spirits. So it's incredibly holy. It's incredibly righteous if you understand true Kabbalah as the interpretation of the angels of the written word on earth. So, what is growing in wisdom and revelation? It's called a spirit of wisdom and revelation. Every time you know that wisdom and revelation has been released, there is always an angel of wisdom. There is always an angel of revelation. Sometimes you'll see it as a blue orb, for blue is the color of revelation. That blue orb, we've captured it many, many times in photography and different videos. That's an angel of revelation which means it's the teaching and understanding of the holy angels of the gospel, of the New Testament and the Old Testament. So when we get enculturated in the wisdom and the understanding of the holy angels, we begin to have a much deeper working and ability of the Word of God. When it's still just a dead letter and it's all sealed up, well, it's not doing much. It's mostly in our flesh. It's in our head. But spiritual ability must rule over natural ability. When spiritual ability rules over natural ability, Zion rules over Edom. Jacob rules over Esau. Understand the development of your spirit is to rule over Edom and Esau, which is the seven mountains of all the demons bound inside those seven mountains. Those seven mountains are the nation of Edom, whose king and prince is Samael, and who was given entirely to Esau, who rejected the covenant of Israel and rejected circumcision. Now Zion is entirely Jacob, who embraced the covenant of circumcision, and only through Jacob came Messiah and the twelve tribes. And in Revelation, those twelve tribes are the gates into God's glory. So we know the only access we have to Shekinah, which is God's true light, if we read Revelation, is through the gates of the twelve patriarchs. Judah, Reuben, Benjamin, Joseph, Levi, and many, many others. And through these men who are living gates, living pearls, we have access to the promises of Israel and of Isaac and of Abraham, our patriarchs. But understand, if we have a Christianity outside the gates of the names of the 12 tribes of Israel, we have no Christianity at all. You'd be hard-pressed to find Christianity in the earth right now, whose access is through the gates of the 12 patriarchs of Israel, the 12 tribes. Therefore, it's not Christianity at all 
oftentimes it's just stolen stuff from that's outside the gates. For outside the gates are what thieves. What are they stealing? The things of Israel and the things of Messiah. And most Christians outside these 12 Jewish gates, these 12 pearl gates, that were to sell the field to, to guard the pearl of great price, which is access into the Jewish inheritance of Jacob. Truth, anyhow. And if we are not valuing those Jewish inheritances that Jesus Christ has given us as King of the Jews, we are finding ourselves in the seven mountains of Esau, robbing God. And guys, if we're honest with ourselves, that's where most Christians are right now because they have not been taught the Bible. They're not in Word Academy. They don't understand Moses. They don't understand the book of the 12 patriarchs. They don't understand the epistles. The epistles are the wisdom of the inheritance of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Paul goes into the inheritance of being engrafted into the cultivated olive tree of Israel. It's the olive tree of Israel. So Israel is the very tree of life itself, of the stars and the sun and the moon and the government of Torah. Now, is any of that demonic? No, all of it is holy. But outside the gates are the sorcerers and the dogs and all the demonic. Therefore, if we are inside, which means circumcised inside, we will find the promised land of Israel and have access to it, just like many nations did in the Old Testament. You had an Ethiopian eunuch going up to Jerusalem to celebrate the Jewish feasts. Now, there is nothing Jewish about Ethiopia. It's a completely different nation. It's a completely different race. But yet, even in the Jewish Old Covenant, the nations had access to the outer court to worship yad heh and to bring sacrifice. And there would be all the nations that would come and celebrate the God of the Jews, for they recognized there is no God. This was the, the expression and the very testimony of so many people in the Old Testament, even Ruth, and all of those people that came out of different races, they now had a testimony with the Jewish race and the covenant of Moses, and they confessed that only this God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is the true God. And so they were engrafted in. They became circumcised. And they became Jews. They were not Jews before, but they're Jews now. They were engrafted even in the Old Covenant. Guys, and even through some of those Gentiles, if we read the genealogies of Luke and of Matthew, there are Gentiles in the genealogy of Messiah. Why? Because engraftation into the promises of Israel has always been a promise. As it's written in Isaiah, you will be a light to all nations. Amen? Israel shall be a light to all nations. And when the Messiah of Israel is preached, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Therefore, all the Gentiles, all the heathens can hear, listen, and understand and be engrafted into the cultivated olive tree of Israel and bear forth the sacred anointing of the Garden of Eden and the cosmic tree of life. 
and there will be an understanding inside that temple of the workings of the angels and of the Holy Spirit so that even the Gentiles can become true cosmic Jews and Levites, priests forever in the Melchizedek order. Guys, that is the eternal gospel of the understanding of the angels on the rungs of Jacob's ladder in the mid-heavens. And the archangels are glad to bring it to you today that you too might be engrafted and learn the heavenly way in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. <laughs> so much overshadowing of the cloud in this place tonight. It's so wonderful, isn't it? The overshadowing of the cloud of power. That's the overshadowing of Mary's womb that brought forth Christ. It's a wonderful cloud. It's just, it's him. And like we read in Proverbs today, to be an Adam of Bina and Yada, that Dalet of knowledge instead of just a Da'at knowledge, not Da'at, it's the Holy Spirit of Da'at in its true form, its true place. But to be an Adam of Bina and Yada, what is it, Yada? He's known, he's known, he's Yada within the palaces, it is written. So as you ascend through circumcision, it's the intimacy of knowing him. You feel his love for you. Love isn't a theological question at that point. It's the sensation flowing through you that you know he loves you. He's nearer than a brother, as in he lives within you. And he feels the atmosphere all around you. <laughs> And it's that overshadowing of his cloud of power in which he works miracle-working, wonder-working power. Yes, by the blood of the Lamb, by the water of the Word, and by the Holy Spirit. You know, a lot of people want power, and they go for power. <laughs> and... There's nothing inherently wrong about the power of God. It comes from an almighty, holy God. But where the people of God often go astray is they call down the power, pray for the power, fast and pray and wait and tarry for the power. And they see miracles, signs, and wonders. But then the power comes and then the power goes. And they see it time and time again. And those gray-haired with wisdom from being through even multiple revivals began to notice something. That the power would come and the power would go. Revival would come and revival would just as soon leave. And oftentimes it was darker when it left then where they'd first begun. Now, what is altogether different than this is going glory to glory, because when you go glory to glory, you go from one degree of glory to another degree of glory, and you never have to experience 
that let down, that dip in the light where it's darker after a revival. You continue steadfast, going glory to glory. It's an increase of awareness of Shekinah. Just as Brandon said, the awareness of the presence is what empowers you to do the will of God in your everyday life. How can we be aware of his presence when we're more readily aware of our monthly bills, our, you know, our families who may or may not disagree with our words and our ways and our decisions? How can you be ever aware the ever-present, indwelling, and surrounding, and overshadowing cloud of his power. Not to use his power for your own gain. When you make up your mind to choose to walk in authority more highly than walking in power, now you'll want both, but oftentimes what do we find when someone adamantly decrees, as so many Christians have done, time and time again, year after year, day after day, offering the same sacrifices year after year in Christian sacrifice, proving that they're not walking in the eternal sacrifice that was good once and for all. When there's an adamant declaration that, well, I want the exousia and the dunamis, I want the authority and the power, it's oftentimes indicating a true underlying lack of awareness of the way things work in the kingdom and who God is through intimacy and knowing him. So when we know him intimately as the bride of Christ, being one with him, together with him, as we go in that direction, we realize that authority is the more important thing. It's better to walk in authority Satan lost his authority, but he kept power. The power-ups that God is going to be giving those who choose to value authority over power will be overpowered to completely annihilate the enemy. But it's a process of developing his character. It's his nature. Authority is based on proximity to God, to the throne of God. So the closer we grow to God, on the inside, through circumcision, which is ascension, cosmic ascension, righteousness, advanced training, righteousness. Simply, the gospel preached in the mid-heavens, and you go there by his spirit, which is the sword of the word of God, which circumcises our hearts. As we know him, and he is yada known, within the palace that word denotes intimate knowing, just as a husband would know a wife, just as a wife would know a husband. There's a loving kindness, there's a said, there's a special grace that you would give your spouse and you give your spouse daily. Why is that? Or a close friend, your close friends, you give them a special kind of grace that when you see them, maybe they've made a mistake or they've misspoken or they forgot to do something and you give grace and you give Forgiveness, Why? what is that based on? It's based on relationship. Why? Because 99% of the time, they're there for you 
they love you, they do the right thing. So when something is missed or something is a mistake, there's a grace of relationship, which means I know who you really are and I know you made a mistake, you forgot to do something, you know. There is relationship grace. So what happens is when someone has a relationship and there's relationship grace, if the person receiving the grace begins to abuse the grace and then continue acting and it, the mistakes now have become patterns and the patterns become habits and the habits become overt sin, flaunting and decreeing and declaring in the face, why do you have a problem with it? I have the rights to do this and to be like that and who are you to tell me what I can and cannot do? This is my rights. I'm pure, blah, blah, blah. And that's where you find the abuse of grace. And that grace can no longer exist of relational grace. So the grace of relationship can no longer exist in those places where there is an overt abuse of grace for doing the selfish things, doing the wrong things continually to where it's no longer actually relationship. Right. How many of you have had friends in the past and they took advantage of your kindness? And in the end, what was left? It wasn't a relationship at that point. It was no longer a friendship because it was only a one-way street. It was their way or the highway. And if you had to say anything about their taking advantage of your kindness, you became the enemy, it was your fault, the blaming and all those kinds of things. And you may have seen this many times in the earth. When grace is abused, to that point, there no longer remains a relation. Those are not buckwheats, those are buttwheats. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what the cosmic toilet is for, amen. So if you have abused grace in any way, whether it's spiritual apathy or making excuses for sin, understand you may not even be in relationship with the Lord anymore. You may have had relationship with him at some point. But at what point did it turn and become about you having your way to do what you want, even though it's sin, making excuses for it, calling it holiness when it's not, all those different things that people have done. You may have destroyed what relationship you did have. Now, he's very forgiving, he's very gracious, he's wonderful, he's mighty and compassionate, so forgiving, so gracious that even if that's you, there is a chance too that you could repent and if you truly change from your grace abusing ways to living a life of holiness, purity, righteousness, right doing, and instead of making excuses for behavior, doing the difficult thing to change your thoughts and your behaviors and your actions and your speech to agree with God's ways. And when you do that, you'll find through circumcision, your relationship with Christ is restored. And it's never going to be restored with just crying alligator tears do not move the heart of the Father. Right? The alligator tears. Tears, you know, there's the, the famous saying that, you know, you're not you're not actually sorry and crying because you're apologizing. You're just sorry because you got caught. And now you're found in sin. And now you're crying. Why? Because you're found out. You're exposed in that. And so that is the kind of alligator tears that do not move the heart of the Father. You could cry and weep and seek the inheritance with crying and weeping, but it still will not go to Esau. Why? He said, if you choose to do the right thing, or to Cain, if you choose what is right, 
Will you not be accepted? But he chose to what? Murder his brother. And he did cry. So there is a type of tears and repentance that does not move the heart of the Father. It does not move the heart of Jesus. It's simply the sorrowful, uh, the sorrow without repentance, that's sorry that you got caught for being the liar, the cheater, the abuser of grace. And when that happens in your life, if you simply allow it to break you, I feel the fire now, <laughs> allow it to break you and acknowledge that you've been wrong, that you've been the evil one and God has been the righteous one. And those who have walked with him in righteousness have been the righteous ones. That's, that, that's paramount to Abel being recognized by Cain as he was actually the righteous one here and Cain was the murderer. So if you can come to an end of yourself and stop the blame game, if everything has gone to pieces, if the relationship with God, why is it so dry? You know, how many more dry seasons you have to go through? How many more not hearing God and just relying on spiritual gifts apart from Him, never being satisfied with communion with Him? Do you have to go through until you realize, you know, <laughs> there has to be a relationship in order for there to be that communication that you desire with God? So if you've damaged your relationship with God due to murdering those who walked in righteousness, witchcraft, prayers, repetitive sin patterns without repentance from eating the fruit of the other side, all these things that when we continue in them and abuse grace, it destroys relationship. If that's you, I just want to extend to you on behalf of the Lord an opportunity to repent of those things that you can walk in true relationship all those things that people go out they get spiritually aggressive towards other believers they become angry they become irate why why is there such a rage why they kick against the, the proverbial pricks of the what are those uh, ox goads it's the ox goad of the son of righteousness the horns of the altar you can kick it until you bleed out it's not going to change anything you have to change your heart and change your mind and it's oftentimes related to how we treat others how we treat those who are walking closely with the Lord there has to be a change of heart why it's God's kingdom he can have his kingdom however he wants and this is how he's decided to set it up so be restored to righteousness be restored to relationship with God and you'll find that when you have negative thoughts towards those who are walking in holiness, those who are walking in righteousness, when you have negative thoughts about believers in general, negative thoughts, you start to draw those people around you in gossip and slander. When you start to have slanderous thoughts about others, you start to draw that to you, attract all that darkness, those dark spirits come around. And when you start having unbelief, when you don't believe the sent ones, don't be surprised when spirits of unbelief are all around you and you start to draw unbelieving believers around you and it hardens the shell so that you can't really hear God anymore. And so the more you're in a non-hearing from God, the more it's going to perpetuate and you lose even what you think you had. So even the ways that you heard from God before, 
begin to evaporate, and then you wonder, where is God? Why can't I hear him? There has to be a repentance. And when you truly repent in your heart, mind, and soul, and you take responsibility for your actions, for your thoughts, your words, and ask the Lord for mercy, forgiveness, you'll find that relationship with God will open up for you in a way like you never could have imagined in all of those things that you may have sought in the world, in sin, in anger and jealousy, and mm -hmm. stealing, trying to steal others, stealing revelations, stealing ideas, stealing glory, you know, all those things. We're trying to satisfy something on the inside, but when you find it in Christ, that thing that you were craving, that thing that you were going into the world for all the pleasures of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life and all those kinds of things that people go after. When you know him on the inside, you are satisfied and content. That's that King David content like a child at his mother's breast. Just, I don't need to consider those things that are too high yet for me. But I'm content to be with my Lord. And that's the relationship that heals all wounds, all spiritual wounds, because authority is the only type of power that can change the invisible realm. Right? Dunamis power, power, dunamis, changes the physical realm, but it cannot change the invisible realm. Only authority changes the invisible realm. And that's growing in proximity to God. And you'll see in the scriptures that authority is the true healing. It's the removal of something that doesn't need to be there. It's a spiritual thing that has to move. And only authority can speak to that mountain. Those seven mountains of Esau that be removed as membrane and foreskin and be cast into the sea, into the abyss, into the lake of fire, into the sea of forgetfulness forever. It's authority. And when you value authority, which comes only through yada, relationship, being an atom of bina and yada, not knowledge, extraneous knowledge, more extraneous information that will only compile more Christian knowledge, Christian knowledge and revelation knowledge. But if you yada him, you know him through that repentance then that authority will turn and blossom into cosmic righteousness. And you'll grow up into supernal realms in ways of knowing him. Those things that nothing can take away because he's within you and you know him. He's given you promises and those promises come true in your life because you love him and you really learn to love him and when you see him the next time you see him and he asks did you learn how to love you can smile and look him right in the eyes and say yes I learned how to love by your word and by your spirit and because of the sacrifice of your blood poured out I am now one of the Marys who pours out 
her sacred oil only on you within my own spirit. She stopped looking around for everyone else. And I'll bring me to my sacred secret and mystic mystery of how you can walk in knowing the Lord in the most personal and intimate way to know him in purity and holiness. If you can understand this spiritual truth, not only will it guard you and protect you from Jezebel's tower, it will guard you as you ascend ten worlds to keep yourself pure and holy and set apart for your Lord. Because if you're setting out on this journey, isn't that what you long to do? So there's a specific instruction, and I know that if you are determined to go all the way, to ascend worlds, to be with him, if you can understand and grasp and believe, not just in your mind, but really believe in your heart, and you do this one thing, that you can make it all the way, and this is going to help you whether you are on Malkut or whether you're in the 10th world. If you understand this in all worlds in between. <laughs> the fellowship of the Lord is the most enjoyable and wonderful feeling. This is a key for the highest realms. The bride is marrying Jesus. If you're part of the body of Christ, you are the bride of Christ. You're betrothed to the king, the master of the universe, creator of worlds. This is a key for the highest realms. The bride is marrying Jesus and not herself. Where people go astray is they see the purity of intimacy of Jesus. And they want to have that with other Christians. It is something you only share with Jesus because we are marrying him. And it is not the bride marrying herself. Whoever can lay hold of this can avoid the false love traps. For a bride to marry herself, it would be categorized as either self-love or homosexuality. Both are strange and like the shell of the other side, the clippeth. Some people become delusional, thinking because it's Christ's life formed in us and that the New Testament speaks of loving them as Christ loves them. They become, in a sense, a false Jesus in a way that they want to have that marital, spiritual intimacy with other believers instead of Jesus. He allows it in a physical marriage to an extent, but it is still not exactly the same. It can never be quite like with Jesus. You're marrying him. So anyone who tries to have the pure virgin intimacy of Christ and his bride with other believers 
whether male or female, ends up in spiritual fornication because they are now cheating on Jesus, their husband or their betrothed. The only hope of rising is to understand and live these truths. So this being inscribed within you may pave the way for the ones who rise after you. And so we pray that you would comprehend and understand. And when those tests come to you, whether you understand these concepts or not in this moment, that you would have the strength and the revelation and the love for your Lord, that you would not fall prey to these enemy temptations because historically, the apostle and the prophet killers of the past have always been taking the precious things of heaven and perverting them and twisting them into these forms that have the appearance of the perfection of the third heaven. So be guarding your wellspring of life. Out of it flow the issues of life. That wellspring of fire is for your husband alone, Jesus Christ, your spouse. If God blesses you with a physical spouse, you may use that spring of fire that he's given you on that one person alone. That's the only exception he makes for it. This is separate from the fruit of his life within you. The fruit of his life within you, you can bring fruit baskets to the party. You can share the good fruit. You don't give the good fruit like the pearls before swine to be trampled. But that sacred inner spring of fire of intimately knowing him if you can protect and guard that wellspring of your heart and reserve it for Christ within you alone, not Christ within someone else to pass it through their soul. The bride is not marrying herself. She's not marrying someone else. He wants a spotless bride who desires him and him alone, who will be loyal and faithful and true faithful and true like he is someone who will be in a company that will be his equal his bride amen amen bless you guys we'll see you tomorrow <laughs> ladies and gentlemen beloved brothers and sisters in christ i stand before you today with a heart full of gratitude and excitement for the incredible work that god is doing in our midst as we gather together in the spirit of worship and fellowship, I am reminded of the profound words found in the Holy Bible, specifically in the book of Proverbs, chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. These verses emphasize the importance of honoring God with our resources, and it is this biblical principle that has guided us in the vision and mission of our ministry. Today I want to share with you a divine opportunity that calls for our collective support, the establishment of RLM TV right here in the heart of Florida. In Matthew 28, 19, and 20, Jesus commissions us, saying, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. This divine mandate is not confined to the four walls of our ministry but extends to the vast reaches of media and technology. 
RLM TV is more than just a vision. It is a God-given opportunity to fulfill the Great Commission in an era where the power of media can transcend boundaries and reach souls in ways we could have never imagined. Brothers and sisters, the urgency of this mission is echoed in Romans 10, 14, and 15. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As we embark on this journey to establish RLM TV, we are not just building a broadcasting station. We are constructing a platform to amplify the gospel, to reach the lost, to disciple nations through the powerful medium of television. Yet, my dear family, such a mission requires resources, financial resources that will enable us to purchase the necessary equipment, secure broadcasting licenses, and ensure the production of quality content that reflects the love and teachings of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I am reminded of the widow in Mark 12:41-44, who with a sacrificial heart gave all that she had. In 2 Corinthians 9:7, the Apostle Paul encourages us, saying, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Let us prayerfully consider how we can play a part in this historic endeavor. Let our hearts be moved by the urgency of the mission, and let our generosity reflect the cheerful giving that God delights in. Together as one body of Christ, we can make RLM TV a reality, a beacon of hope and truth that will shine brightly in the state of Florida and beyond. May God bless you abundantly as you prayerfully consider your contribution, and may the joy of giving be a testament to the love and grace that flows from our generous Heavenly Father. In Jesus' name, amen.